Friends, fellow philosophers, uh, thanks for joining us today. We're digging into uh, the problem of evil and starting out um, a sequence of uh, four different discussions total about the problem of evil and really wrestling with this this concept that uh, I think is is important to wrestle with because for so many, uh, you know, when I think about some of the different philosophical questions and issues that we engage, they're they're very intellectual. Uh, but when we talk about the problem of evil, this is something it's not it's not just a, a logical or intellectual problem uh, for folks. It is an experiential problem. It's a you know it's a problem that affects us all because in some way, shape, or form, uh, all of us wrestle with with suffering, with with difficulty uh, in life, with with trials that really give us pause uh, and oftentimes lead us to this question. You know, if God is if God is good uh, and if God is all-powerful, uh, then why is there this, this suffering? Uh, why is there this evil in the world? Uh, and so that's really what we're, we're working through as we, uh, as we think about these things. And so I want to, in this discussion, we're going to kind of set up and frame the logical problem of evil a little bit, talk through some distinctions, and then just highlight uh, a couple pieces from uh, the, the philosophy textbook uh, an article by B.C. Johnson, which is uh, actually not the author's real name, uh, but the author felt compelled to uh, write this uh, anonymously as they engage the, the problem of evil uh, and raise some pretty difficult questions uh, about belief in God. So when we think about the, the logical problem of evil, it's really three propositions. Uh, the first proposition is that God is omnipotent. In other words, God is, God is all-powerful. The second proposition is that God is wholly good. And the third is that there is evil. And so what, what this problem wrestles with is that if three is true, if, if it's true that there is evil in the world, then it seems like one or two appears to be false. Like maybe, you know, if there is evil in the world, then number one, God is omnipotent uh, is is not actually true. Maybe God is maybe God is. is, is somewhat powerful, maybe he's very powerful, uh, but it seems like he's certainly not omnipotent because if God was all powerful, it seems like he would um, bring about a world where there was no evil. Uh, or, and, and that's one, usually that's the one that, that people are, that people go to and kind of think about how to tweak uh, or how to work with. Um, but you could, you could go to proposition two as well and say, well, maybe, maybe God's not wholly good. Maybe Maybe there is a, a part of God that um, enjoys the suffering or that, that wants to bring about this, uh, the sin that's in the world. And again, for most, especially for Christians, but even for theists in general, um, people are more willing to, to tweak or work with Proposition 1 rather than Proposition 2. Uh, but this is, this is the problem that we're wrestling with when we talk about the logical problem of evil. Now, when philosophers think about the category of evil, most of the time... Uh, when people think about evil, they think about moral evil. Moral evil is uh, evil uh, that that is brought about uh, by an actual moral agent, a being with agency. In other words, usually we think here, obviously, the category of human beings uh, who have choice and who are able to um, say yes to God or to say no to God, to, to choose to do things, um, whether, it's, whether it's something uh, seemingly minor, uh, like gossiping or, or you know cutting somebody off in traffic uh, to just the extremities of warfare and uh, 
genocide and when you look at human history these things that, that uh, at the end of the day we would say these are all rooted in moral evil uh, agents who have choice who do things uh, that, that end up uh, harming others uh, but there's also the category not only of moral evil but of natural evil and when we talk about natural evil part of what we're talking about there is uh, the reality of suffering it's not just um, somebody doing evil to somebody else but but the reality of suffering some kind of loss loss of loss of health loss loss of property loss of life uh, when we look at uh, natural disasters like hurricanes tornadoes floods earthquakes these are things that produce a great amount of, of human suffering, uh, but there is no, or at least apparently, uh, there is no agent behind these things. It, it looks like these are just built, uh, in a lot of ways, into the fabric of the world. Uh, and so when we think about the problem of evil, we're wrestling both with the reality of moral evil, but also with the reality of, of natural evil uh, and the fact that suffering seems to be uh, a part of human life. Uh, and what, what this looks like. So that's some background, that's some framework for thinking about the, the problem of evil as a whole. Uh, I, I wanted to, to today walk through um, a few of the responses uh, that uh, a theist might make. And uh, in, in the reading for today, in the, the Poiman textbook, B.C. Johnson talks about this on page 116 and following in this short article that's entitled, Why Doesn't God Intervene to Prevent Evil? Uh, and the big idea here is that, again, if there was a God, and if there is a God who is all-powerful and holy good, this God would intervene. But the fact that God seems to not be intervening in situations in which God should intervene leads us to the conclusion that um, e either really there's there's not a God, or that it's just as likely that this God is evil as uh, as he is good. Um, and so, so before diving into kind of his own uh, his own reasons... Uh, for his case, B.C. Johnson thinks about and, and responds to the way some theists uh, might look at the problem of evil. Uh, and so he says, look, th these are common responses, and, and so he wants to make sure these are on the table, and that's helpful for us to think about as we process his own argument um, and our own response. So, uh, so let me just run through a few of the responses that, that he talks about. He says, um, and, and to set this all up, uh, he gives... Uh, a scenario and he says you know imagine that there's a house fire and a six-month-old baby is burned to death uh, he asks could we possibly describe as good any person who had the power to save the child and yet refused to do so he says God undoubtedly has this power if it's the kind of God most theists would talk about God has this power uh, and yet in many cases of this sort he does not help so how do we think about this? Are there, are there kind of excuses uh, that God can fall back on? Uh, and so one excuse, he says, you know, somebody might say, uh, the baby will go to heaven in the end. So, you know, they're, they're in uh, a better place. Uh, or another one that's closely linked to this is somebody might say, you know, well, in, in the long run, um, there's some kind of good result. There's some kind of favorable outcome. Maybe we can't really see what that is from our perspective, but uh, but but that's where it is. Uh, and and he said he, he says um, yeah this doesn't th this doesn't work even even if something good ends up happening it doesn't excuse what he would say is God's inaction uh, to prevent something something that's evil. 
Um, and and so he wants to say that this, he, he finds it unacceptable to appeal to uh, a kind of mystery or to a kind of, you know, calculus where we don't really, really see the whole picture. He says, no, that, that still doesn't um, excuse the kind of suffering, the kind of evil that happens there. Um, because he appeals to this analogy of, of, you know, an innocent bystander. Is there such a thing as an innocent bystander? Uh, and he would say, you know, in this kind of scenario, there's a house fire, there's, there's a baby trapped inside. If there was a bystander who could help uh, but did not help, then we certainly wouldn't call him innocent. We would actually say that uh, in that scenario, there's a kind of uh, moral duty that they have uh, to intervene. Uh, that, um, you know, being a good Samaritan in that context is not just just optional, but it's actually something you, you should do, that, that you have to do, that um, part, partly when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, as Jesus tells us, uh, you know, the, we don't just say for those who, who kind of avoided uh, the man who was injured on the road, we don't just say, well, that's, that's normal. We actually say they're, they're guilty for not doing something that they that was in, within their power to do. Uh, and so... He doesn't want any kind of bigger calculus. He he says it doesn't work to kind of appeal to the innocent bystander. There is no such thing as an innocent bystander in this case. Um, he also considers one, and and this is a this is a pretty common uh, response as well. Is that uh, a theist would say that that uh, you know this evil is permitted, suffering is permitted uh, because it's uh, actually necessary for some kind of moral growth uh, to take place. That uh, you know, if humanity was just dependent on God to do everything, then there would be no sense of um, moral urgency uh, that, you know, if, if any time there was suffering around the world, right, you know, hear about, oh, there's a devastating earthquake in this part of the world or a, a horrible tsunami or a famine. Uh, if God just intervened in that, then it, you know, there would be no sense of, of community and coming together and actually uh, calling us to uh, grow in virtue and and helping others, um, and so that that's a common response. If God's intervening like this all the time, uh, then really it it actually undermines human agency uh, and and moral agency. Um, his response here is, you know, when we when we think about some of these things, he he, he doesn't want God's interference in a way that does maybe undermine or does work against these things, but look, but says look. Uh, especially in maybe extreme cases, uh, maybe cases where you know human beings can't intervene, uh, like the case of this house fire, or other scenarios where, for for whatever reason, you know something really horrible is going to happen. Um, you know, couldn't couldn't God step in? Uh, you know, in the case of a Hitler or something like that, and um, you know, give Hitler a heart attack, uh, right? T- take him out in a way that um, yeah, that, that doesn't undermine. Uh, moral growth ultimately, uh, but it, it seems like uh, from his perspective, he would say, look, you can still have some of these things. Uh, we're not asking for you know, complete eradication of human agency or something like this, um, but that, that you could still have moral growth uh, in a world where God intervenes much more than, than God appears to in, in the present. Um, so that's his response uh, to that that potential excuse that a theist could offer. Uh, he also says, you know, this, this is another similar one. 
he says evil, especially suffering, is a necessary byproduct of the laws of nature. Uh, in other words, you know, when you think about laws of nature, things have to have order and regularity. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the same two by four that is used to hold up a wall, uh, also, if you're not paying attention and run into that wall, uh, is, is going to hurt you. And so, you know, from, from the theist perspective, there has to be that kind of order and regularity, uh, even if it brings about some kind of suffering, because to, to, you know, to do otherwise would create you know, a world that's almost like a, a dream where there's no regularity, there's no order, there's no, uh, you can never say from one moment to the next what, what actually is going to happen. Um, here he says, you know, something similar. He's like, well, God could still intervene to prevent really horrible disasters from hap happening. And, and maybe God can do this even in a way that we're not even aware that God is doing it. So that, again, for the most part, the order is maintained, the regularity is maintained. Um, but things that are extremely bad, extremely horrific, uh, don't actually end up happening. So uh, in, in his mind, this it seems like, again, you can have some kind of order and regularity, even as God is sort of constantly and regularly intervening uh, to make sure that things don't, don't go too wrong, don't go too badly. Uh, and, and last, the last possible theist uh, response or excuse that he thinks about is this idea that God is a higher morality. In other words, uh, that God's ways are higher than our ways. Um, and that's, you know, that's something that people often do appeal to when, when we think about this. Uh, that there is a, there's a level of mystery that we just can't fathom and can't know. Part of the objection he raises here is says, okay, if um, what does it mean then to say that God is good? If you know, in our mind, from from a human standpoint, we we know what good means, uh, and good means that if you see a really horrific situation unfolding, uh, that you would intervene in it. And so, if God doesn't do that, does it? Does our language really have meaning when we say God is good? Because it seems like it. it it seems like God is almost beyond good and evil. Like we can't even use that kind of language uh, to even to even think about who He is. And so there's this there's this kind of linguistic problem. Uh, you know, do, does this word mean what it normally means when we say that this person is good or or that event is good? When we say God is good, uh, if there is this, uh, in His perspective, radical disconnect uh, between those things. So, so those are some theist responses and, and his responses to those responses. You might, some of those you might um, find stronger than others. I, I think there are some that are maybe a little bit easier to engage with or respond to um, and others that are part of that framework. When he then thinks about kind of the own, his own case that he builds in this, really he, he, he says there are a few things uh, that lead him to the conclusion that he does. The first is the difficulty of particular cases. In other words, when you're talking about evil in general, that's one thing. But when you look at uh, specific scenarios, like you know, a six-month-old child being horrifically burned in a in a house fire, he says, "How you know that is?" Um, I, I don't know how to reconcile that particular case. Uh, and I think you know, I think there's a power to that. That it is not when we're just contemplating evil in general, but it's. It's when bad things actually happen in our lives. Something happens up close and personal that really does uh, push people to wrestle with this question in a in a deeper way. And so I think he's something he, he's he's onto something 
when he says, you know, this is not, it's not about the abstract, it's about the concrete and the particular uh, things that actually happen uh, right in front of us. He, he also says, okay, so when I think about the, the case of the theist, um, you know, somebody might make some concessions and say, okay, you're right, you know, you do have these objections, and, and so maybe God is not all powerful. Uh, but Johnson would push this and say, it's, it's not just enough to say God is not all powerful. Uh, that, that's not far enough just to kind of knock God down a couple of notches. Uh, he's saying, you know, you're telling me that God can't even or won't even do what uh, the average fire department should do, or that just the average human being who's in the vicinity of, of, of this fire. It's like that, that, you know, in that sense, God is, it's not that he's just not all powerful. It's like God is weaker than, than human agencies and than human beings. Uh, and so at, at this point, again, he says, you know, this, this God seems like he's such a wisp. Uh, you know, there's so little there that clearly this is not what a theist wants to affirm uh, when, they, when they talk about who God is. So he says, you know, at the end of the day, then somebody might hear these responses and say, okay, well, 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 I just have faith. Uh, I have faith that there is a God. And he says, okay, but the, the problem is it's not justifiable faith. Um, you know, when, when we think about faith, this, this, is, a, this is a level of confidence. Uh, and, you know, so he says, uh, imagine, you know, if you have a friend who is, uh, reliable, you know, and, and this friend follows through and they, they say they're going to do something like, uh, you know, give you a ride from, from point A to point B. Uh, if, if that person uh, doesn't show up at the time they said they would come, he would say, well, it, it'd be justifiable to probably come to the conclusion like, you know, something must have happened. There must be, you know, they're not just ignoring you. They're not just dismissing you um, because I know their character. I see how they act. So it'd be justifiable to say, uh, you know, there must be some good reason that, that they're not here um, because you, you you have this kind of continuity in this this, this basis. Um, but from his perspective, saying you have faith in God is is not like that. He would say um, that really are because of our experience of, of, of evil and suffering, there's not this kind of experience of, of, of goodness or it's as it, it's it's a 50-50 shot. Yeah, we experience goodness, but we also experience all this evil as well. So it's it's just as likely uh, that God actually has some kind of evil intent uh, and, um, you know, actually wants to bring about harm and suffering than, than that there's something good there. Uh, and so, so he, he concludes by saying, if you, if you take in all this evidence, these, these excuses that don't work, if you look at the particular cases and ask yourself why God doesn't intervene, he says, look, it's, it's unlikely uh, that God is all good uh, or that, that there even is a God. And, and again, if there is a God, it's unlikely he's all good. There's a, at least some evil there. It seems like some kind of evil intention towards suffering or, or, or evil. Uh, and that maybe, maybe it's the case that God actually is evil. And so... You know, instead of saying like God made us with free will so that we could choose good, maybe God made us with free will so that we could we could freely choose evil. And and rather than saying, you know, well God allows natural disasters so that the people will grow and mature uh, through that, maybe God allows natural disasters so that we you know, just become um, embittered, uh, angry people. Uh, he says, look, if if you look at the from his perspective, you look at the evidence 
again, it's it's a it's actually more than a 50-50 shot. It's it's pretty likely uh, that either there's an evil god or there's a no there's no god. Uh, and so for him as he wrestles with this question, why doesn't God intervene? Um, he he comes to, to to that conclusion and really really pushes on this uh, to say this is a this is a real problem. Uh, as we move forward, we're going to see some responses to this. Uh, next time we're going to talk about Augustine on free choice of the will, where we'll dig into um, some of the questions around moral evil a little bit more, and then we'll shift gears uh, and look at John Hick uh, and uh, how he deals, especially with natural evil, and then finish up by looking at the book of Job. Uh, and we'll see how that actually, in some ways, reframes uh, the whole framework that we have for addressing the problem of evil. So thanks for joining us, and until next time, blessings.